Welcome back to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. This is episode 33. We're piecing it all together with you. And today we're talking about being an ally. An ally? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't really, really know, know what that means, but I see that word on the interwebs a lot. Uh-huh. And apparently it's something you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a good ally. A good ally. Is that sort of a white people's idea of like how to find a new white identity? Um, maybe. I would hope so. I I think it's supposed to be rooted in like partnership and like relationship to come alongside somebody mm-hmm. from, from the context that I can figure out. But I don't know that it always goes that well. It seems like it might be more challenging than it first appears to be a good ally. Well, anytime you're operating in a broken system and you're trying to fix it, it's going to be difficult. So. Oh. That's very gracious of you. (laughs) I'm feeling very gracious. I guess so. I caught you in a good mood. Well, listeners, thank you for tuning in. We are uh, excited for the feedback that we're getting. We really love having these conversations. Um, This, like I said, is episode 33, and we are getting ready for our March 2nd Zoom recording. So if you want to become a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com. And uh, if you become a supporter, you're going to get an invitation to that Zoom chat. It's 9 a.m. Saturday morning, March 2nd. And the topics that are being suggested are uh, quite uh, intimidating (laughs) as far as their scope goes. So we're going to have to narrow in a little bit. But we... And when you go to piecing it all, or when you go to Patreon.com, put in piecing it all together. P-E-A-C-I-N-G. Yeah. Because we're about peace. Or we try to be. We're piecing all together and we're bringing all the pieces together. Ah, I love it. Randy, you uh, you tweeted a lot this weekend. I saw that you were, you were busy on those interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> you were fired up about something. Yeah, I did a little bit of tweeting. And I'm not really that handy with Twitter. <laughs> um, I only know how to sort of... Get a few things out, and uh, that's about it. But, uh, you actually just about 10 minutes ago found out how much you've tweeted. That's right. I didn't know I had 444 <laughs> tweets. <laughs> I tweet that much? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, maybe you want me to read those? Yeah, so, There's yeah. three, basically. Okay, read them because I think that. Uh, for the listener, if they have not seen the conversations that you had on Twitter and Facebook last weekend, it would be best for them to hear, totally without context, just in a vacuum, the tweets so that they can have the same reaction that some of us who had no idea whatever had happened behind the scenes that elicited this uh you threw down a gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't mad. Well, I was I was angry, but I wasn't in an outburst. Yeah. But very uh, focused. Yeah, and I just want to do a little disclaimer. Uh, you know, I'm an OG, so I'm mostly Facebook friendly, right? So uh, the uh, the original uh, Facebooky um, Twitter is even beyond me. And then once I get to Instagram, I'm completely lost. So. And then I'm sure there's lots of other things, Snapchat and all the rest, but that I just have haven't a clue about. But I'm old, you know, so I have an excuse. I'm I'm old, 
And I, I, I don't have an excuse. I used to love Twitter and hate Facebook, uh-huh. and then Twitter got very mean spirited uh-huh. and very contentious all the time, very critical and negative, and it changed on me. And now I'm not as good at it as I used to be. And in fact, I had deleted my account a couple of years ago, and then when I I gave it about a year and a half, and when I came back on, I haven't really been able to connect and build an, uh, a network like I had before. So now I use Facebook way more than Twitter. I'm trying to also figure out the parameters of Facebook because um, a couple of my posts have been marked as inappropriate <laughs> and uh, inappropriate. I'm, I'm, they've been taken off, right? So I'm like, well, what is it exactly that I said? But there's nobody to ask that question to. We have to go yeah. back and kind of go through it. So I, they, so I did what any smart 62-year-old would do. I went and asked my 20-year-old son, yeah. what do you think is inappropriate here? Okay, they, they took it off because you put these two words together. Uh, so I took the words off, put different words yeah. in, and they accepted it. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He's a digital native. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my coffee just kicked in, by the way, so I'm, I'm feeling very jovial. All right. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And they don't give you, they don't give people like you a troublemaker hotline to call to say, no. why did I, why did yeah, that get lost no. in the sauce? So the, the, the thing that I wanted to make the disclaimer about, though, was that um, I do go into more detail in my Facebook post, but in Twitter, you only get so many words, right? So you yeah. only can, can say it in a very short. Uh, Although they've doubled the number of characters. I liked it better when it was 144. Oh, my gosh, not me. Oh, no, because now people can go on and on. I mean, <laughs> it's not relatively. really that much. Like, I, I go to zero every time I figure it out. Oh, do you really? Get, get to zero and then just send the post. So I'll go ahead and read All the, right, the here we go. Posts. Okay. Without further ado. All right, so the first post I sent out, I said, please don't be offended, but... To my white colleagues teaching about racism and getting all the jobs with white organizations, I quote D.L. Hughley. This is the quote. White people can't judge what is racist any more than the Pope can judge what is pedophilia. Consider the gauntlet thrown, friends. That was the first tweet. That was. So, it got a lot of oh, uh, concern. Yeah, well, there are three interesting things that st- jump out to me immediately in that in that tweet. The first is anytime somebody says "no offense," it's going to be offensive. <laughs> I was trying to soften the. Point. No, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, I, I I think that's a clever rhetorical device. Uh, secondly, is that quote by D.L. Hughley is it's edgy. Uh, yeah, it's rough. And so well, when I heard it the first time, which I heard him saying in an interview, I thought, that's it. The lights went on for me. I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense. Huh? Wow. <laughs> All right. And then it's like, because I'm always dealing with white folks who tell me what's racist and what's not. Uh, and I don't know if you're in, you're swimming in a sea of white privilege is you're really the best judge to say what's racist. Oh, I see what, okay. So this is where I think. And, well, let me yeah, add, yeah. And, and you're protecting something, even if it's unconscious, you're protecting white normalcy. Just like the Pope is protecting, oh, there's so many good things that the church has done. We can't, uh, you know, condemn the 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 the, uh, the pet, how do we call it, pedophilists, pedophiles. pedophiles, yeah, yeah, the pedophiles. 
Um, and, and, and now there's been over 5,000 uh, in like the last five years or something yeah. um, exposed. And it's like, what, do they go to school for this? You know, why can't they just deal with this thing, right? Uh, and so, um, yeah, yeah but so, so they're so the Pope is protecting something, and yeah. I I think D. L. Hughley, who's my favorite um, comedian philosopher, oh, right. um, uh, is onto something there. I think that he's saying, hey, white people, you may not be in the best position to say to us people of color what is racist and what isn't, since it's you have so much to lose. Yes, this is interesting. So I have actually witnessed white people trying to tell you that something wasn't racist. I I have witnessed this. <laughs> Testify. Yes. Uh, so what, what's funny is, and one of the reasons I love our friendship so much, is I exist in a little bit different of an environment than you do in that my professional life is with uh, white uh, liberal minded folks and we just sort of assume everything's racist All right, we just like that's a general I think a starting point and so they would be I think more uh, more amenable to the fact that they're not going to get their hackles up and like stand up for something especially throughout history mm-hmm. they sort of acknowledge like yes I know we're white but we apologize for <laughs> You know, it's like a starting point. Yeah. So there's sort of a, a white guilt just embedded in. So they might agree with this statement. Maybe yes, it, it it might even ruffle their feathers a little bit, but they would be more prone. But I, now I understand what you're saying. You know, the other thing for me is because I went to Claremont. And I was in my program in my little cohort. I was sort of the token white guy, and so. Uh, when you are in an environment where, where especially being white male, is a minority perspective, you really sort of follow the lead of your cohort and you, you sort of get uh, paced in, in approaching stuff like that. But if you're not in it, you know, that's rare. I know that's rare. But if you're not in that environment, um, then you... Yes, if you are the person who's like, whether you're self-appointed or whether you've been appointed in your mostly white dominant culture to be the one who talks about race or who identifies something as as race or validates it as being racist. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, I can see how you might get out ahead of yourself in that and get... uh, and, and maybe not do a self-check. Yeah. And then, you know, the idea of the gauntlet being thrown. I, I, I made sure I put friends after the gauntlet. Friends. Consider the gauntlet thrown friends. Um, another rhetorical device, yeah. I guess. But, uh, because I wanted two things. I wanted... That's a sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I wanted to, to say... Engage me in this conversation. I'm going to be here to talk uh, with you about this. Okay. And I did have some wonderful dialogues. Um, some who wouldn't engage, some not so great. But but I had uh, specifically one person up at uh, Seattle Pacific University, and we, we had a long huh. dialogue on Facebook that I think came out really well. This is actually something unique that you do. Where you will stay in uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, I'm not You're trying committed. to just, you know... You know, yeah. throw a tomato and then walk away. I'm trying yeah. to engage people. That's yeah. called education. Yeah, and I get educated in the process. So yeah. So uh, and so I wanted to, um, uh, but but I also wanted to say, 
you have to, white folks, you have to deal with this. This is time. It's time to deal with it. So consider the gauntlet throw. So. Amazing. All right, and this is just the first tweet. So I just want to tell you this: that uh, I, I'm, I've matured some recently in the past couple of years, but in my previous incarnation. If I were to send out a tweet like that, it would mean I was so upset, like behind the scenes in my own living room, and for me to fire that out. And then unlike you, I wouldn't have stayed and, and, and had those ongoing dialogues. I would have like, uh, you know, turned off my phone for the day and just stewed, right? <laughs> so that's the thing I really appreciate about you. Is that you mean it. I don't leave the table. You're committed. I'm saying, you know, when, when we get talking about this stuff, we've got to say I'm committed to stay at the table and talk. Okay. And so I'm, I stay at the table okay. uh, until nobody else is willing yeah. to stay. So. Yeah. All right. Second tweet, oh, here we um, go. which came after, you know, some discussion. I said, um, I'm not accepting incrementalism or polite racism. I'm looking for people to do whatever it takes short of violence to change the system or create a new one. A good starting place for any addiction, which is white normalcy and white privilege, is to admit that you cannot fix the problem alone. So what is incrementalism? Incrementalism is, um, well, the the best way to to understand it is to think about what was going on with abolitionists during uh, slavery. Okay. Um, There were some people who said... Uh, you know, abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and others said, "We right now, they need to be free right now. There were other people, um, and you even still hear this argument today, that said, well, if we just do this a little bit at a time eventually, or what you hear today is, you know, if, if, if they would have just left things alone, eventually they would have freed the people who were enslaved. You know, and, and uh, or we can only do so much now, let's do, you know, I'm not an incrementalist, and I've come to believe that incrementalism is um, just another way of saying let's continue white supremacy, white privilege, white normalcy. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so giving away a little bit at a time is really a way to extend the suffering of other people. Because what it doesn't recognize is there's real-life suffering going on with real-life people. And each of them has a story. And part of treating each other like a neighbor is to say, I wouldn't want to do this. I wouldn't want this done to me. I won't won't do this to someone else. Okay. So read the thing again. You're not into incrementalism or what? Um, Polite racism. Oh. And what are you picturing there? What's polite racism? Oh, my gosh. That's what racism is. It's every time you turn around, there's some kind of polite racism going on. It's, a, um, uh, it, it's the idea that uh, um, I have to deny um, what's, uh, that I'm really a racist because, for example, individualism. Let's, let's okay. say uh, another a deflection of white people or denial mechanism is, um, well, I'm an individual and I'm not a racist. Well, that has nothing to do with the fact that you are part, uh, not only of a propagator of a racist system, if you're not trying to change it, mm-hmm. um, which brings us to our whole ally thing, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but you're a beneficiary of it, and you try to deny that. So let's yeah. just call it what it is. Yeah. You are a racist via the fact that you are part of a white racist system, and if you're not doing anything about it, you're a racist, yeah. de facto. Yeah. 
Wow. You know, I, I've been very aware recently that uh, because my my wife and I have to move, as we've been looking for apartments in different parts of the city, uh, I've been very aware of both ra- racist attitudes within me, but also the racism embedded in the real estate industry, whether it's the history of banks redlining, who can get loans where, whether it's policing structures and response times, right? Whether it's who gets criminalized for what offenses. Yes. I am... Uh, Black folks are are eight times more likely to go to jail for a marijuana offense than whites, even though whites use it proportionally more. Yes. Things like that. Uh, But I am very aware of the fact that the, the system is racist on my behalf. Exactly. And so my participation... That's a great way to put it. On my behalf. Yes. And so my participation in that system, A, benefits me. So that's what we're calling privilege. And so I am am benefiting from that. But also it embed... It forms and informs me. And so there is this perpetual... Um, reinforcement. Inherent and re, yes, reinforcement of those racist attitudes and behaviors. As normal. As normal. Right. And so we disrupt the system by saying this is not normal. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely sick mm. and we have to stop it. Right? Yeah. So if I just did nothing except looked for a new apartment in a place where I was comfortable. Between the banking system, the real estate system, the policing system, and the the legal system, that system is racist on my behalf. That system is made for you. Yes. To to make you comfortable. Yeah. Right. So then I d- then have the privilege, I guess we're going to call it, of saying I- I'm not racist. Like I I love people of color. My yeah. my best friend is whatever you want to say right yeah. uh, and and, the, and that's where the jokes and the stereotypes start right. but it's really sort of embarrassing if you don't recognize that by my doing nothing I can't then step away and claim innocence right. and, and I should clarify what I mean by people of color so sometimes people mean different things mm-hmm. by I, I have a number of privileges that I usually name before I talk um uh, things like being light-skinned, things like being middle-class, things like having an education. You know, those kinds of things are my privileges that I you're a, have. You're a large, able-bodied man. large, able-bodied, yeah. Yep. So all those kinds of things. But, um, uh, and so, but when I mean people of color, I don't actually just mean the skin color. Okay. I mean everybody who's not white. So I just want to clarify. Everyone that. who's not white. Yeah. Oh, so there's white people and yeah. people of color, yeah. and and not because white people are mm-hmm. worse and mm-hmm. people of color are better, but white people are have been given an unjust, unequal proportion of opportunities and benefits in this society, and so that's what we need to bring into balance. Okay, that's a helpful clarifier. Okay, then uh, the the last one. Um, How far apart were these tweets, by the way? Oh, let's see one. <laughs> Uh, they were all on... Uh, like, were they back-to-back? No. Okay. The first was on February 1st. Oh, okay. Then I got in some discussions and uh, thought about some more things, and then the next two were on uh, February 2nd. Got it. Okay. All and right. The final one, I said, to white empowered organizations, right? So these are organizations that are virtually white, run for the benefit of white people, although they would never admit that, ever. Mm. Um I said, before hiring a white, quote-unquote, racism expert, 
and I don't know why you would, <laughs> vet them, exclamation point. How are they using their position of privilege to empower people of color? How are they supporting systems leading to anti-racism and people of color working who are working to that end? If they are not, stay away from them. It's a scam. Huh. Well, that is quite a line to draw in the sand. Well, because it sets a pretty. We need a line in the sand. It sets there is, a pretty high. There's already a line in the sand. It's just, <laughs> we need to recognize it for what it is. It sets a pretty high standard. Yeah. So can I just can I just poke at it? To, yeah, yeah. So, and then we'll get into what what maybe yeah. what it does look like to be an ally. Yes. Okay. And that's yeah. That's where I was headed. So there is um, uh, an increase in studies of issues related to race, whether it's you know, critical race theory or race training or just awareness of racial privilege, you know, whatever it is. By the way, we have our own now called critical indigenous race theory, just so you know. Oh, yeah. okay. And so young people can go to college, right, maybe even get a degree in this. And so part of the issue is, you know, when they come out, let's say, let's say that somebody studied in whatever degree they got, but they have to do something with that degree. So they get into a corporation and they do race training, right? So racial sensitivity or whatever it is at your company. Or maybe they were part of a group on their campus and so they get to speak to other campuses about how we do it on our campus. But then they become sort of the, the expert right. where they um, house the or have the toolbox that they can take with them to use at different institutions and organizations, but then they end up becoming the the person in the spotlight or the person who has the platform. And so that's not inherently um, concerning if if they are in still in partnership and still cooperating in in collaboration. Uh, with people of color to bring down those racist structures. So there's also another way to look at that, and that is that white racist structures who think, for whatever reasons, and there's lots of reasons that people say, okay, well, we got to deal with this. A lot of times it's accrediting organizations and others saying, you know, you don't have a good record, you don't have good employees uh, of color, you, you know, you need to look at things like, uh, hiring more um, employees, finding out why uh, people of color don't stay at your organization. All so a lot of times there's external reasons as well, not just you know pure motives. But so whatever the reason, they can check the box mm-hmm. and not make themselves feel too uncomfortable by allowing a white person to teach them about racism yes. rather than a person of color. Yes. Or take it one step further, the second degree, which is hire a person of color who reflects their ideas, their values, um, and doesn't really speak for their community. Yeah. Yeah, and part of the way I was asking about that, I know that I'm playing what I call it angel's advocate. Most people call it devil's advocate, but I never advocate for the devil. So, But I'm, I'm trying to just flesh out what I think are going to be people's concerns. Like, well... You know, I don't know that that's inherently bad. I mean, what if the person, right, and they started to make a case for uh, the fact that, you know, some of this racial work needs to be done by white people. Mm-hmm. 
especially if it makes it, and here's where I want to poke you a little bit, more comfortable for white people to access or accept the ideas that are being put forward Mm -hmm. is if it comes through a white voice and in a white way that they they can accept it more easily they can they can actually address it the only problem is it's not a white world and so let's just get real yeah. and let's get down to where the rubber meets the road so so again i'm not an incrementalist mm-hmm. i'm not concerned about you know um uh up uh continuing to uplift a white supremacist system through white people being comfortable um, I think the thing that white folks need to do is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, um, you know, there's been so many hundreds of years of comfort built in the system for white folks paid for on the backs and by the blood of Native and Black and Latina and, and Asians in many instances uh, people. And so um, to say... Well, we need to be more comfortable in this is to just say um, we want to continue that system. We just don't want to, you know, um, look as bad as we did. Now, does that mean that there aren't white advocates out there who are doing some good? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if they don't have the experience, you know, um, if they've never, if they don't have the battle scars. Yeah. If they only got woke up when they were 28 and now they're 30, you know, <laughs> um, then, you know, you don't need to be taking the job of uh, people of color who have been dealing with this stuff all their life and often professionally have the degrees and well-qualified. It also sort of smacks the idea that there's not well-qualified people of color out there who can do yeah. the job, right? Yeah. And so... Um, so I noticed that some of the people immediately who I heard from in a positive way were people of color who do this for a living. Uh-huh. And they were saying things like, I love you so much, Randy, <laughs> and amen, yeah. and clapping, and yeah. you know all this kind of stuff, because they know exactly what's going yeah. on. There's, uh, it's just another way to put in another you know, place of comfort for white people. Mm. And so white people have to get over this comfort thing. Okay. That's just. So what, what would it mean to be a good ally? Since we've sort of fleshed out just a little bit of, of the things that are concerning about our current situation, what, if somebody wanted to be an ally or a partner or to work towards uh, an emancipatory approach to yeah. So it's probably not a good thing to come to people of color and go, oh, I've got a great idea of how to fix the problem, <laughs> right? So we have our share of those. We have yeah. like you know, uh, we, we can just look back in American history. Father Bartolome de las Casas, right? He was the humane priest who was pleading the case in Europe and everywhere else that that Columbus and all his marauders were were killing and committing genocide and doing all these things and. And, but the bottom line was that he never questioned their right to do it, right? So I would call that a liberal, right? A, a, a liberal mindset that said we need to treat them humanely, but never said uh, we, didn't have, we don't have a right to do this to them, period. Um, Richard Henry Pratt, the guy who uh, created the, um, the first uh, residential boarding schools in this country, was trying to treat, uh, do the best thing. For the native people, right? Mm. Reverend Isaac McCoy, who thought of the reservation system, 
uh, Baptist minister who called it an Indian Canaan. He thought, oh, this is a great idea. This will help Indian people keep them away from the, the ugly things in white civilization, you know, the, the drinking and the gambling and all those kinds of things. And, and so the reservation systems are, are um, uh, and of course, um, uh, Andrew Jackson thought that was a wonderful idea and fit in perfectly with his 1830 Act of Indian Removal, mm-hmm. right, um, in which a lot of people were uh, killed. Uh, so most missionaries, the same thing. Well, we want to do good for indigenous people. Henry Dawes, Senator Henry Dawes, the who, the Dawes Act and creating private ownership. You know, Native people don't have selfishness enough in them, so we need to create private ownership. And, and then he divided the, the land up and, you know, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, all those kinds of things. So, so we've got enough um, sort of white, liberal-minded people yeah. who are saying we just want to help right yeah so how can we really help so that's the question so uh, i'm going to just go through some things that i think are important it's not everything yeah and i'm sure i'll i'll not remember all of them I'm, but here's here's a few things number one understand your own racial identity so and we can talk about these if, if you want as they come through so so understand who you are both as a white American and your own uh, indigeneity. So everybody comes from somewhere. So how does that inform who you are? Because that the more of that you relate to, the less of just white American you have, right? Okay. So now uh, we all have spiritualities that come right. from our indigenous roots. How does that spirituality um, fit in my own life and on the land of the host people? Right. So I think understand your own racial ethnic identity and 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 and. M- Many, 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 many. How many times can I say that people in groups, when I when we go around with white people and say, and they can be on a journey of racial identity, and the first thing they'll say was, well, I've never really thought about what ethnicity I am or how I relate, or I guess I'm white, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've heard that so many times. It's like, right, because you don't have to think about it. That's normal, right? Right. So if you've never had to think about it, you're white. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you check so, none on the yeah. census, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm good. So, uh, so, so let's, yeah, let's understand. Uh, the allies need to understand who they are so they can be strong in their own identity. Okay. Um, know, uh, and just get used to the fact that you will never know what it's like to, to be an Indian, or I will never know what it's like to be a very dark-skinned person because there's colorism, right? Mm-hmm. I will never know what it's like to be black. I will never know, but I want to be an ally. Um, but but it's not like I'm going to all of a sudden realize that oh, you know, I know everything they know. Yeah. Consider that there's a cost involved. There's going to be a cost personally because white society, white supremacist society, turns on those who turn their back on white supremacy. Um, the, uh, the they they hate people who turn their back on white people. Even the people who who are not the kind of you know pointy white hat people that we're thinking of in neo Nazis. Yeah. Just regular society will say no. They're uh, you know there's yeah. something wrong with them now. You know they become angry or they've you know, yeah yeah. Oh, the thing I see the most um, from my friends who are who are like waking up is that. Uh, the people in their circles will get mad at them for even bringing up the issue of race, and they'll Absolutely. say that itself is racist. Exactly. And exactly. Like, well, what, that's quite a little, little uh, trump card you're trying to pull there. Yeah, yeah. That's so. There is a cost involved. Um, uh, 
wait to be invited or I tell uh, people, at least if they're, you know, in their local communities or whatever, at least take tobacco and say, you know, would you help me with this? You know, I want to become an ally and I don't know how or whatever else is is happening. You know, it's, you can't just kind of barge in and go, here I am, you know, (laughs) quite save your complex, right? So, um, educate yourself about uh, American history versus what I call the American myth, which is, you know, the history that white supremacy teaches as opposed to what is the real history of this country. Mm. Um, that's a really, really important thing. This thing about educating yourself is so, so important because the thing you really want to be careful not to do, if I can just say um, from from uh, my experience, yeah. is you don't want to increase the labor of m- people of color or women people in marginalized communities mm-hmm. like give you don't want to give them work to do to bring you up to speed right. that's complicating the problem so take it upon yourself if you really care about this get educated and there's so many good resources out there read native authors yeah. read up on this go listen read read yeah. authors who talk about the history of white people yeah, you know. So I think I yeah. might have given this list before, but there's there's four books I would re- require for every white person who lived. The first one is the history of white people by Nell Irvin Painter, yep. a Princeton professor. Uh, the second one is one by a native guy named Robert Williams called Savage Anxieties. Okay. Um, the third one that I su- would uh, suggest is a by a uh, Seneca man named John Mohawk called Utopian Legacies. All right. And then the fourth one would be Stand Your Ground, um, and I forget the subtitle, Black Bodies and something, by uh, womanist, black womanist theologian Kelly Brown Douglas. Read those four books to know who you are. Um, read those four books to know what white supremacy is, because it didn't just all of a sudden start 10 years ago. You know, and and these books take the idea all the way back to the Greeks and bring it forward. Some of it is um, uh, the uh, like. So Kelly Brown Douglas, for example, her particular bit is talking about Anglo-Saxonism. Robert Williams is really talking about Romans, Uh, the uh, Mohawk and the um, uh, Nell Irvin Painter are talking all the way back to the Greeks and sort of bringing it forward. So, so listeners, I will link, I will list these four books in the show notes so that you don't have to pull over right now and write them down. They'll be waiting for you in the show notes. Yeah, great. Okay, so a couple more. Um, when indigenous people do tell you something or do try to educate you, follow through with it, right? Hmm. So um, uh, listen to what they have to say, especially the elders. But just, you know, when someone's trying to help you and extends themselves and says, well, you should read this or you should come to this thing with me, you need to go or you need to read it. Um, don't speak unless you're asked. Don't apologize unless you're asked to. You know, the first reaction of white people is, I feel so bad for everything's going on. I want to stand up and apologize. <laughs> Nobody wants to apologize, uh, generally. Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to, you know, there are probably some people who do, so I don't want to act like I speak for everybody, but... Um, so, um, and then do, and, and this almost sounds contradictory to the first tweet, but do speak to your own people and your own people group about the injustices that were done. Do educate them, right? But don't come in and say, you know, I'm the, now the racial expert and you need to pay me. If you're going to get paid, 
bring a person of color with you to help yeah. or help uh, give some of it to an organization or so, you know, do something to empower yeah. because you only got woke by learning from people of color. Yeah. So you need to, you know, return uh, yeah. uh, some of what to do to them. Uh, understand your role as a junior partner. You know, it's not large and in charge Americans, right? It's yeah. I'm a junior partner here. I'm a, I'm, I'm a partner. I bring a perspective. It will be asked uh, once in a while from me, but I'm not in charge. Yeah. Even if we say like we're working for equality, right? We're not there yet. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a problem because a yeah. lot of people's idea is well, you know, it should be even now. You know. Yeah. All you have to do is just you know, yeah. it, it doesn't it didn't work like that. So. No, and it never does. I mean, there are always course corrections in something like this. And so if even for a season, things need to be um, weighted in a certain direction in order to course correct, then we have to, we have to let that be. And as much as our heart may long for unity or uh, equality, mm-hmm. um, when we're, say, at the table to do less of the talking in recognition of being a junior partner and less experienced in the subject, it, that is a form of equality because it recognizes the context in which the conversation is being had. Yeah. So the most frustrating question I get... Um, I'm learning so much, by the way. All right. is, is uh, now that I understand some of this stuff, what, what can I do to fix the problem? Yeah. Inherent in that question is a number of things. One of them is like, well, you people couldn't fix it over all these years, so I must be able to come in here and fix it. There's a white savior company. Okay. Um, also inherent in that question is the idea like you you can actually do something about this big problem when all these people couldn't, but you could. So we're, what is? Are you a millionaire? What are you you know? What are you coming in? Yeah. What power and money do you possess that you think you could come in and just solve yeah. all problems and you don't even understand? So you really don't understand all the problems. And and the final thing is like. Okay, you want to do something. Why is it, you ask yourself, why is it all these years that I wasn't woke, that I didn't understand this, those things, and you go back and you find Mm. out why, that's where you need to start. Interesting. Go back and say, all right, here's here's the things that kept me from this. Now I need to go back and start fixing those things so it doesn't happen to other people. Right? All right. So your, your answer is in your question. Yeah. All right. A um, couple other things real quick. Um, I, I said get comfortable being uh, with discomfort, right? Um, yeah. It's just that's a high value of Americans, period, but especially American white people. Yeah. Um, and, and so and if you're hanging with Indians, I can at least say that, you know, you're going to get teased. And that will, you know, and you're going to get teased mercilessly. Um, but that means that they like you. So, <laughs> and we tease each other yeah. mercilessly too. So, um, learn to uh, love and accept the lack of public recognition. You know, you're not you're you're not in this to be famous for Indians, you're, or whoever it is. You know, you're you're just in this to help empower them. And then finally, uh, you know, you're going to live a life of personal and social integrity. And that should be a value that you embrace, right? Mm-hmm. It's like now I can live as a, a white person with integrity, both personally and socially, and I'm, I'm doing my part, whatever that turns out to be. But if you're an ally and you understand your role as an ally properly, I think that there's a high degree 
uh, where you can then hear these things, hear about pride supremacy, hear those things and say, um, I'm, I'm a recovering addict of white normalcy, and I'm working on that, and here's how I'm working on it. You know, and I think that's valid. I don't think being white is the problem, but succumbing and allowing a system of white supremacy is the problem. Yeah. Well, that was very helpful. I was looking forward to recording this because I actually did not know what we were going to end up talking about. I only knew that we were going to start talking about the tweets, and I didn't know where that was going to take us. So this has actually been really constructive and helpful, I think. Yeah, and I, that's not everything, but you know, this is just what I'm thinking right now. So. Okay. Listeners, we always want to hear from you. We love getting your feedback. Was this helpful to you? What else do we need to address or cover? Are there any concerns or questions that you have that we can deal with on a future episode? Please let us know. You can email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. You can post on Facebook, like our Facebook page, and be a part of that conversation. You can be on Patreon. If you are a financial supporter, or you can just post on the website itself, right on the page. We allow for comments there. We would love to hear your thoughts and responses to this. This is a conversation, obviously, that is going to, uh, for us, be an ongoing theme that we will return to. So maybe point us to some good resources that you have found about being an ally. Absolutely. And there are more and more books coming out all the time. I can't even keep up with them. There's some some great books uh, that are out. Just got uh, through reading a book called Dear White Christians that's uh, pretty interesting. And and then I heard uh, about uh, another book that just came out. I forgot the name right now, but I got it written down. So it's like you can't keep up with them, right? Because uh, it's... And it's going to be more and more of the conversation as we continue to move forward in this country. And so um, let's all do it together. All right. This has been Piecing It All Together, Episode 33, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. We'll see you next episode. Peace out, everyone.